So let's go ahead and uh, dive in. Last week we talked about the importance of reaching out to our friends, John. I don't know whether you were here or not, but we talked about reaching out, and we looked at Jesus, and we saw that two people reached out to Jesus last week in the stories that we read. And as they were reaching out to Jesus, we saw that Jesus actually reached back out to them, and something happened. Somebody tell me what we actually covered last week. What are the two people or the two stories that we covered last week? Okay, anybody? The paralytic, okay, the guy that was dropped to the roof, right? Okay, that was one, and who was the other person that we covered? Hey, there you go, the guy that had leprosy, okay? Yeah, good job, good job, Hannah, yeah. Way, way to go. So that's what we talked about last week, and we realized that Jesus reached out, and we should reach out too. So we came to the conclusion that all of us should be reaching out, that all of us should be reaching our friends, and so your homework really was, again, to kind of go home and reach someone. I know some of you guys were in spring break, so you may not have been able to, but how many of you guys actually had a chance to talk to someone last week about Jesus? I just want to see your hand really quick. I want to tell you that I'm super proud of you guys. Awesome. A few of you guys, way to go. So proud of you guys. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to close out chapter 5. I need all you guys to grab your hand out, and we're going to dive in here in a second. And tonight is one of those sermons that um, I'm gonna, we're going to go through a couple of scripture verses, and I'm going to teach for 10 minutes, and those 10 minutes, I'm probably going to overwhelm you. So I need you guys to kind of be with me, okay? So already gear yourself up. In the middle of the sermon, we're going to do 10 minutes, and you're going to be overwhelmed. So just make sure that you're aware of that, and it's, it's going to be okay, because I'm going to give you a lot of information. And then we're going to close it out with an illustration um, at the end. But this week, we're seeing someone being called. A couple of weeks ago, Peter was called in the ministry. Now we get another guy by the name of Levi or Matthew that is going to be called, and he's one of the most unlikely candidates to be called because he was what most people would call a traitor. He was kind of the same way, he was in the same category as those people that would be seen as murderers that actually had murdered people. He was a bad guy. Nobody really liked him. And Jesus actually walks up to this guy and calls him to be one of his disciples. And so in a moment, we're going to see that everybody around Jesus thought that was a terrible idea, and it was not a good idea, and then Jesus kind of shows us something in that. So we're going to do that, but I'm going to give you our opening question again, as always, and that's the question that we're going to open up with, and then we're going to answer at the end. The question that I have for you guys tonight and that we're going to cover in our chapter is this. What is the one thing that you can't take with you to heaven? What is the one thing that you can't take with you to heaven? Just write it down. This is one of those, this should be so easy at this point. So... No, it's a little different. The, the question was different. So what's the one thing that you can't take, that you can't take with you, um, that you can take with you to heaven? Not can't, actually, it should be can. I don't know that I did that wrong. Again, it's very easy. It's the same kind of thing. It's not an earthly possession, guys. It's very simple. You should be able to figure this out, and we'll talk about it at the end. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into verse 27. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your presence. I do ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in this place, and as we talk about all in, as we talk about chapter 5, the last few verses here, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would change our lives, and that we literally, as a youth ministry, as individuals, will give everything to you, and will go all in. Holy Spirit, I declare my dependence upon you, and ask that you would remove me from behind this pulpit. May you speak through me tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So verse 27, let's dive in. After this, everybody say, after this. Now, this is, again, after the guys had just opened the roof, they put the paralytic down, and this is right after that. After that, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. 
Now, in case you forgot, tax collectors were the worst people. People hated them, and again, they were seen in the same category as people saw murderers. They just hated them because they were Jewish, and they were seen as traitors because they were the ones that would take the taxes from the people. And the way this worked, you guys may remember this, is that Rome had a certain amount of taxes that a district would have to um, give, and the tax collectors were in charge to get that amount for Rome. And whatever amount extra they could get, they could pocket themselves. So if you were in that position, and if you said, you know, like, let's say the government is asking you for $2,000 a month, uh, but you can take as much as you want, and whatever is left over is basically your own, what would you do? You would tax the people a lot, right? Because you want to be rich and you want to make money. That's exactly what they did. So they, they taxed them a lot, and a lot was going on. And then Jesus walks along, and there's a picture that I want you guys to see, because this is exactly what happened right there. If you can put it up there. Um, that's it right there. That's Matthew. And Jesus says this. Follow me. That's all he says. Follow me and listen to what it says next to you in verse 28. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, if you actually study this with Peter and John, Peter and John, Jesus, when he met them at the, at the sea, that was not the first time they had met him. They were actually disciples of John, so there was a reason why they left everything and followed him. It's almost like Peter and John actually kind of thought about this. This guy right here left everything, and it was crazy because he was a tax collector. This was not a job that, in case this adventure doesn't work out, I'm going to go back and become a tax collector again. You had this once, and you would probably never get it again. And he just left his job, just said, you know, I quit right there on the spot and left the job and, and was basically all in. Have you guys ever played Texas Hold'em? It's a poker game, like poker. Have you guys ever played poker? You guys know what poker is, right? Like, I really like playing poker, but I like playing it, obviously, without the money, because gambling is wrong. So just making sure you guys all know that. But I like playing poker, and I love Texas Hold'em because when you have good cards, or even if you don't have good cards, you can say the phrase, I'm all in, which means every single chip that you have goes in, and you're betting everything on this one hand. And I love doing that because you can literally lose everything or you can double up. So it's kind of like a gamble, obviously. And that's really what Matthew or Levi was doing here. He said, you know what? I got all my chips right here, and I'm going to be all in. I'm putting everything on the table, and this, is better, gotta, this better work out. So he, he just did this right then and there, which is pretty cool. So Matthew was totally committed. He was all in. As a matter of fact, at the end of the message, I'm going to ask you guys whether you are truly all in. But we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, so let's go ahead and read some more verses and see what God is going to say to us in the scriptures. 20, 29 says this, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now, I don't know whether you're catching this, guys, but this is awesome. The guy basically just followed Jesus. He kind of got saved right then and there. And then the next thing he does is what? He throws a party for Jesus and for all his friends. Why is this important? Why do you think he invited all his friends? So they can see Jesus and hear about what Jesus did in, in Matthew's life. Which is an interesting example for evangelism. He made sure that everybody he knew was invited and said, hey, you guys, you got to meet Jesus. He changed my life. He told me to follow him and everything is different. I want you to meet him because he is truly amazing. Again, he was all in. You know, it's, I, I think some of the reasons sometimes we don't, we don't share Christ with our friends is because we're not truly all in. 
we're kind of halfway in, halfway out. You know what I mean? Like some of us, you know, we, we kind of want to be in church and we have like our one day in church, which is Saturday, and then the rest of the week we're kind of doing our own thing. We're kind of half and half or really less than half. We're not really all in. And again, tonight I'm going to ask you guys to make a commitment to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm all in. All my chips are going to be in this one game, which is the game that you could call Christianity, which is not really a game, obviously, but I'm kind of making a... Uh, I'm kind of an illustration here. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Again, no one associated with these guys. They were, they were hated. No one wanted them. And then the Pharisees and teachers who had heard about this afterwards, by the way, they were not eating at the same house. They were not part of this group. When the party was going on, the Pharisees were not there. They would have not entered that house because they would not associate with those guys, but they had heard about it, and then they came to Jesus and said, why are you eating and hanging out with tax collectors? You're wrong, you know better, you shouldn't be doing this. Which is so funny to me because the Pharisees were masters in keeping people out of church. They only wanted certain people in church. And, and I'm so glad that we as a, as a body of Christ have changed it a little bit that we actually invite people into church, right? It's a good thing. Actually, I love what William Temple says. He said this, the church is the only society on earth that exists for the benefit of the non-members. Think about this for a moment. The church is the only society on earth that exists for the benefit of the non-members. See, why does a church exist? There's really two reasons, but one is that, you know, we should be equipped and we should be trained in church, but the other thing is that we then need to be sent out, that other peoples will get impacted. Who is the church? You are. So, see, we have this, and I know you guys know this, but we have this whole concept of the church as a building, right? We go to church. That's what we do on Saturdays, right? We go to church. But see, you are the church. So the church should go out into the world, and we should be reaching people, and that's what he's saying here. Hey, we're really in existence for those that are not part of the church yet so that they can become part of the church. Now, this week I was out eating with one of my friends, and we were at Roussans, which is a sushi place, and so we were hanging out there, and we were talking. I love sushi. And um, we had a waiter, and her name was Rachel. And both of us, my friend and I, were, were ministers. You know, I'm obviously here. He works for a major evangelist. And um, we were just chatting, and, and so we just started talking with Rachel. And uh, Rachel um, was basically our waiter, and she had actually was interesting. She, she was kind of born and raised into a Christian family, had a Christian background, and we were just chatting with her. And we didn't know it at this point, but we were, she was telling us that she had the night off. I mean, she just kind of started talking with us, and, yeah, I'm going to have the night off, and, and I, think, um, I think I'm going to get drunk tonight. And, and we are like, oh, that, that's cool. You know, she was like, well, you know, like responsibly drunk. And we're like, okay, great. And so I was like, hey, so, and then, then my line, and again, sometimes I say the dumbest thing when I'm witnessing to people, and this is one of those things. Yeah, there's no such things as being responsibly drunk. Um, but again, I don't know why she told us all this. So, I, so I, I, my line to her was, so what are you doing tonight? Which is really weird when you're thinking of two guys sitting there that are, you know, one married, the other one is not, and I'm the one that's married asking a girl, like, so what are you doing tonight? It was a really bad line, but my point really was that I wanted to ask her, hey, what, what are you doing tonight? Is there anything going on? And so she was like, well, yeah, I'm going to get drunk. And, and I said, why don't, you, why don't you come to Underground, which is our college and career service, and then get drunk afterwards? Um, <laughs> she, she didn't really like that. And she said, no, you know, like, oh, let's think about it, maybe. Anyway, my point is, we talked with Rachel, and we kind of told her some stuff and, and just kind of witnessed to her. And we reached out to her. And you know why we do that? Why Donnie and I did this? Because we're all in. 
we, we have put all of our chips in there and we said, you know what, if, if Jesus is everything in our lives, then I want other people to know that Jesus is everything in my life. Jesus answered them, and I love his answer about, this is back to the Pharisees, and they're saying, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you hanging out with all those, those people that no one wants to hang out with? He, has, he says this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Isn't that great? See, Jesus came to preach the good news, and he came to reach the sinners. And how many of you guys were sinners at one point? How many of you guys still sin sometimes? See, he came for us. Young people, look at me. He came for us. That's why he came. And I think that is so cool that God even here says that right here. The church, I love what Robert Munger said, and again, you're going to have to catch this because this is a little bit over your head maybe. But the church is the only fellowship in the world where the requirement for membership is the unworthiness of the candidate. Do you guys get that? Really what he's saying here is that, you know, the requirement to be in church is that you have to be unworthy because you have to be a sinner to be able to enter the church because that's what Jesus came for. And all of us obviously are sinners. So it was, it's kind of a cool, cool quote. Now, if it is our job to reach people, why don't we do it? Because you're scared. Why else don't we do it? We don't want to, okay. We're lazy, I like that. We are in ourselves. What do you think, Rose? Shh. We don't want to be rejected. Okay, well, else don't we share the gospel? We don't want to get judged, okay. We're selfish. Those are all great, and I think one of the reasons, yeah, Kirsten. Yeah, true. So I think one of the reasons that I would put out there is this. I, I think that we're not confident and we don't know how to do it because we're afraid that we're not going to know what to answer. And I want to show you guys for 10 minutes. So stick with me. Everybody look at me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do 10 minutes. I'm going to show you some stuff because I want to show you how to have confidence in the Bible. And I'm just going to give you the starting point and you're going to have to go home and do some work on your own. But I really believe that one of the reasons why we don't share the gospel is because we're not confident in the Bible. We're not confident in this word. If you were confident in this word, you would share it all the time. If I was confident in it, I'll be talking about this all the time. How many of you guys have a favorite TV show? How many of you guys have a favorite movie? How many of you guys talk about your favorite TV shows and movies? All the time, right? Because you're confident in that show and in that movie. You like it. You know something about it. You know why we don't talk about this? because we don't know it. Let me give you three things that I think will help you in how to be confident in the word. First is this, the first point is this, you have to know the word in order to be confident of the word. And of course that means you have to read it, right? And I'm not, I'm not trying to diss anybody, and please pay attention guys, I'm not trying to diss anybody, but we have to read this word. And, um, and it needs to become something that we're excited about, and hopefully again our sermons will do this for you, that you really go back and be like, man there's some cool stuff in here, I wanna really read this. Second thing is this, you have to be willing to become an apologist. And I, I'm going to throw some stuff out at you, so please stay with me, okay? An apologist is someone that knows how to defend their faith. Someone that when they talk, they actually know what they believe. Good, let's find out. Oh, no, 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 like, no, man, I shouldn't have opened my mouth. Okay, here we go. This is one of the statements that you will get. And you need to be confident in the word, and you need to know what you're talking about in order to talk with people. The first statement is this. There's no such thing as absolute truth. And you're gonna get this all the time. People will tell you, well, the Bible's not true and there's absolute truth and there's really nothing, there's no absolute truth. Let me explain this to you. 
because I believe there is absolute truth. Under what circumstances, and you guys need to answer this, and it's gonna be a little graphic, so stay with me. I know we have six graders in here. But under what circumstances, Kevin, is it okay for a man to rape a woman? Under what circumstances is it okay for a man to rape a woman? Give me a circumstance that it's okay. Okay. Is there any circumstance that that is okay? Are we in agreement on that? I promise you, if you were to ask all your friends, they would tell you there is never a right moment to do that. What is that? Absolute truth. If there is one absolute truth like that, and that's a minor one, could it be that there's more absolute truth? And that's how you start your conversation. See, when that's thrown at you, you gotta know how to refute these things and throw it back at them and make them think. And if you can't, then they know that you haven't really thought through your Christianity. And then they can say, well, you know what? You say you believe, but you really don't. So you gotta know what you believe. Statement number two that you will hear is that they will tell you there's no God. But it's a, it's a, then, then they tell me, well, well, show me, prove to me that God exists. How do you prove God? Okay, so the Bible. Okay. So the Bible tells you there is a God. And exactly, so what's the basis? Like, how do you prove to someone that there's a God? Now, what you should do is this. You should ask them, how do you know there isn't a God? Turn it around. Ask them to think about it. And then here's some things that I do. How many of you guys have ever seen a painting? Okay. Like a painting, like some art. If you see a painting, what do you know? Somebody painted it, right? If you see a building, you know there was a builder, right? If, if you come into a room and the chairs are all organized... Somebody organized those chairs, right? So you use these kind of examples and say, when you look at anything in the world, there's, when there's order, there's somebody that ordered everything. When there is a design, somebody designed it. When there's a painting, someone drew that painting. Could it be that this world that is so phenomenal has someone that actually created it? And then you start making them think about it. So that's how you kind of start proving God. Again, you're going to come into these statements. The last one that they will tell you is this. The Bible is not true. And there's so many more. I'm just giving you a few to get you guys started. And then how do you say, I mean, how do you tell them? Oh, well, you know, I believe the Bible is true. And they say it's not true. So you're having, you're having a stalemate right there. You don't know what to do. Here's what I would tell them. And again, guys, this is a lot, but listen up. Let me give you five things that I would tell them. Number one, just think about this. And again, the first one is not a big deal. But the Bible is the best-selling book of all times. Period. Have them just think about it. You know, like there. You know, if it's the best-selling book of all times, could it be that maybe there's something true to it? The Bible claims to be written by God, which again, that could be circular reasoning, and you can, you know, like. But just, you know, I'm throwing out some some thoughts. The other one is all historical evidence. And again, to be able to make these claims, you really have to study this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna send you guys home to do some homework. I know you're sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, but you got to know your stuff, guys. And I'm trying to kind of get you started on this. All historical evidence supports the Bible. When you look at the Bible and the, the historical stuff that is in there, it's supported by actual history, and you can ask Mr. Tony some of the stuff because he studies history, so he'll know, and he studies theology. He's awesome. He's brilliant. He's smart, so you can ask him. And number four, archaeological evidence supports the Bible. 
So you have all this evidence that supports the Bible, but you need to know these things to be able to talk with people. And lastly, there's fulfilled prophecies in the Bible that validate the Bible, which is a really interesting point. And then you don't just need to say these things, you need to show them, like Micah 5.2 and all these different things. And you show them in the Bible that, hey, there's prophecies, and they were actually fulfilled. And what you do with this as you talk with them, you make them think. And that's something that most Christians can't do. They can't make non-Christians think and process through. What happens usually is that non-Christians make Christians think because they don't know what they believe. So you need to know some of these things. You need to become an apologist. Again, I'm just giving you a couple of things here. The last thing that you need to learn, uh, and you will have confidence, you need to learn how to ask good questions. And there's four deadly questions that I want to give you. And these questions are awesome when you're talking with anybody. And these questions are not used as ammunition against someone. This is to make them think. Once again, Timothy, you're making people think as you ask me these questions. Four questions that I would ask when I'm talking with someone. When they start talking to you about what they believe, you should ask them questions and really listen to what they're saying. And not just talk about what you believe, but listen to what they believe. What do you mean by that? What does that really mean? And have you really thought that through? Another question that you can ask is, how do you know that to be true? Turn the questions around on them and make them question their belief because we all have a belief system, but most of them have not thought through their belief system either. But they know how to ask the right questions. Again, I want you guys to start asking the right question. How do you know that to be true? For example, when they tell you, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, okay? The first question that I usually ask them, do you, do you know what that means? <laughs> and, and some people really don't. They just say it to get you off their back. And then, you ask them, like, what, what is it, how do you know that to be true? What does that really mean? And you ask them these questions. Where do you get your information? This is a great question to ask when they say they believe in something. I believe in evolution. Where do you get your information? My teacher told me. That's good enough for you? But for most people, it is good enough. So make them question, be like, maybe what if it's wrong? Maybe your teacher is wrong. What, what do you need to do? And then the last question, I love this one. What if you were wrong? And they will ask you the same question. You need to have an answer for that too, guys. When they, what, what are you going to answer when they say, hey, Mr. Tony, you talked to me about Christ. You told me all these things. What if you were actually wrong? What if you were wrong? What's your answer? And when you actually literally, like, think about it. Think about, because you need to have an answer for that. You need to be able to answer them back and say, well, and I have an answer, but I'm not going to give it to you. I have an answer that I give people when they ask me, what if you were wrong? We need to engage their minds and ask them questions, okay? That's how you actually witness to people and talk with them. Verse 33. I hope this helped you a little. They said to him, John's disciple often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Again, the Pharisees, they were just very legalistic. They always found something wrong with Jesus, and they always called him out for something. Here, now they're calling him out and saying, hey, you know what? You guys don't fast and pray enough. And then Jesus basically answers them in a moment and says, well, they will fast once I'm gone. But there's an interesting question here that I want to kind of bring up that kind of relates to fasting and praying. How do you actually start to witness to someone when you have never done it before? Some of you guys, you've never witnessed to someone in your entire life, and that's okay. But guess what? That's going to change and you're gonna go on an adventure, and it's gonna be awesome. But here's how you start. I'm gonna give you four things really quick. There you go. Number one is on how to witness to someone. You need to pick a person. Duh, right? I mean, you, you pick a person. Number two is you pray and fast over that person. No, you don't wanna to witness to an animal. That's just a weird adult. So we're gonna pick a person. Pray and fast. You prepare a plan of action, and then lastly, you pursue the person of interest that you are praying for. 
That's what you do. And you know what? You just become friends with them. You ask them these questions, and you live life with them. And we are all called to do that. Amen? All right, so what I want to show you here in a second is a video of a guy that does this. And he does this in a really, really strange way. Because he just goes out to people, and he doesn't do what I do. I will go through the Ten Commandments. I will talk with people. He just goes up to people, and he takes a different approach. And he talks with them about the law of God, yes, but he also talks a lot, and I do this too, where he talks about the love of God. But his approach is he prays for people on the street. And he's radical. The guy got saved about 10 years ago. Um, he was a drug addict, if I'm not mistaken. It was just in a crazy lifestyle. And he got radically saved. And he is so radical right now that he will not just pray for people. He will walk up to them, pray for them, and say, check it out. I know you're healed. You're, it's done. I mean, he has that kind of confidence in God. And there's one moment in there that's really interesting because the guy in the minute, moment will get healed on the spot. And he's not a Christian. And what comes out of his mouth next is quite interesting. Let's go ahead and check it out. That was awesome, right? I loved his closing statement. I, I'll just touch as many as I can. And, and I want you guys to do the same thing. I want us to be that radical. The truth is, you know, we need to actually have a lifestyle of holiness, a lifestyle in the Word, and a lifestyle with God to be able to do that. Because, I mean, that's, that's some boldness. I don't know whether he caught it, but at the guy, he was like, you know, just, just do whatever you can. I guarantee it's done. You got to have some confidence in this word and in God and in your prayer that you can do that kind of stuff. And God, man, shows up. And I'm telling you, when people get healed, you can share with them the gospel and they will listen <laughs> because they just got healed right then and there. I mean, how cool is that? He walked back the street the next day and he was just, you know, one of the um, people that were just inspecting everything. And, and then he comes in and gets healed. How cool is that? So that's what I want us to do. I want us to be all in. I I'm, I'm promise you, Todd White, the guy's name is Todd White. He's all in. And you can tell by the way that he does stuff because, again, you have to, like, don't try what he did um, before you get your life right with God and are in the prayer closet and all these different things because there's a price that he paid to be able to walk in that kind of anointing. Verse 34, Jesus answered, can you make the guest of the bridegroom fast? Again, this is, we're going back to the point where the Pharisees are uh, attacking Jesus. Can, they, can you make the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them in those days they will fast. How many of you guys know that Jesus has been taken from us? Right? And he sent someone else. He sent the Holy Spirit. But I do believe it's time for us to fast and pray. I believe that God is calling some of you guys to start really fasting and praying and say, God, I want everything. I'm giving you my all. I am all in. And then about here, he is, he's about to tell them two parables. And we're going to encounter a lot of parables. I could take probably two weeks just teaching on the parables, but we're going to just skip over it and read it. In verse 36, it says this. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from the new garment and sues it on the old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And Jesus is not just patching up Judaism here. He's basically teaching something radically new. And, and I want us to kind of consider this in evangelism, that we need to start doing something radically new. Not what we have done before, but that we do something different. That we actually start doing something and talking to people. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says, the old is better. I want to ask you guys, are you all in? Are you really, really all in for Jesus? Or are you just kind of dabbling in Christianity? If you had a stack of chips... And it would, like, you know, one would be for your time and, and for, you know, anything. And you just have these, all these things. Could you really say, okay, all my chips are in 
or are you withholding a few or a lot? And my, my challenge to you guys tonight is that you take all your chips that you have and put them in one basket and say, Jesus, I am all in. Because I don't know about you, but I want to see God do something incredible in our generation, in our nation, and with each and every one of you guys. I really do. But I believe it will only happen if we go all in. I love what Charles Finney said. He said this, a revival is no more miracle than a crop of wheat. And I want to kind of twist this a little bit. A soul is no more miracle than a crop of wheat. See, when a soul actually comes to know Jesus, there was work behind it. Somebody prayed, somebody fasted, somebody planted a seed, and that somebody was probably all in. And so I want to challenge you guys to be all in. The altar call tonight is going to be very simple. We're going to have a bunch of these up here, of these poker chips, and we're going to have some markers. And I want you guys to take these poker chips for two reasons. For one, you say, you know what, this is just for me. I'm all in, and I'm writing my name on it and the date. I'm going to put this in my wallet, in my pocket, and I'm going to remember that that day, today, April the 11th, 2015, I decided with my life, I'm all in. Second, of, second group of people, you are in here and you maybe already are all in, but you haven't really made the whole witnessing thing a, a, a really big deal of your life. And I want you to take a chip and write the name or the names of people that you want to see into the kingdom on here and take it as a reminder to say, I'm all in, but I'm also all in going after people and pursuing them, and I'm going to see a crop of souls because I am doing my job. Does that make sense to you guys? So they're going to be out here. They're going to be different colors. So you can pick your favorite color. We've got green, red, blue, white, whatever you want to take. And, uh, and you can just write your name on it or, again, the name of the other person. But I really want to challenge you guys to do that. Now, some of you guys, you will be sitting here and saying, man, that's a really high price to pay. That's an immense amount of price to pay. That means, like, I'm paying basically everything. Here's what I want you guys to think of. My, my last fill-in for you guys is this. Don't think about not what a price to pay, but rather for the purchase to gain. Because when you pay the price, the things that you gain are so much greater than the price that you paid. As a matter of fact, the price that you pay pales in comparison to what you actually get out of it. And here, let's go back to our opening question. What's the one thing that you can take to heaven? And we gotta, I got to change that for the next one. What's one thing that you can take to heaven? What is that, guys? Souls. That's the one thing that you can take to heaven. You really can't take anything else to heaven because you won't bring your money with you, your books, you know, like anything. But you can take souls with you. And I don't know about you, but I would like to have some souls with me that can say, you know what? Because of you, I'm in heaven. Are you guys with me? I know this is a lot. I know this is junior high, but guys, listen. If we don't start in junior high, we'll never start. There's so many adults out there, and, and they haven't started. And they will never start. And I, I really do believe whenever there is a revival or a move of God happening, you know where it starts? Young people, do you guys know where it starts? It starts with the young people. And sometimes it's the zeal of the young people that is necessary for the older ones to get that passion back. So I'm counting on you guys to be passionate for Jesus, to be passionately in love with him, and to be all in. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that as we make some decisions tonight that, that you would help us to be all in, that we would literally withhold nothing from you, and that, God, um, we would give you everything. And for those of us that are already all in and, and we may have been shy in evangelizing and reaching out to people, I pray, Father, that we will tonight as we write some names on this poker chip, 
that we will say, hey, those are going to be souls I'm going to take with me to heaven, and I will do whatever it takes to get them there. And I pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.